This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode number 105 here on this Tuesday, March 29th. Hopefully, uh, thinking about trying to get this show up actually Tuesday night, we'll have to see. And you're probably wondering, hey, why are we a little bit late on the show? Well, Noah Grant was a little bit sick. Um, we? Well, <laughs> I don't know. As Caleb Peabody would say, Nick, it's probably your fault still. I, yeah, actually it is. Yeah, um, I do live in I do. Yeah. I do live in America's wasteland, though. That is fair. Um, but uh, the voice that you're hearing next to myself, Noah Grant, is Nick Maxson. Happy to have him along for the ride here. And happy to talk all things college hockey, really. Uh, kind of getting down to the wire. The NCAA regionals were last week. So uh, we'll get a little bit of a recap for that uh, in the early portion of the show. And then the entire main portion of the show is going to be all St. Cloud State Huskies men's hockey. What did we see from this past season? What do we have moving forward? Everything that you want to know. And then the extra ice session. A little bit of NCAA hockey talk. Who's going to win the frozen four what did we think of the regionals and hey the minnesota wild uh sneakily continue to do some good things too so as always we're going to start with center ice view news and notes and the huskies illustrated weekly roundup center ice view news and notes center ice view provides you with the best coverage of st cloud state huskies hockey from game notes recaps photos and more go to centericeview.com few news and notes huskies illustrator weekly roundup Noah, and as we had mentioned before uh the frozen four is all set to go uh let's go right to where saint cloud was in allentown pennsylvania um season ended unfortunately a little bit early um a lot earlier than fans and the team had wanted five to four at the hands of quinnipiac uh who eventually would go on to the regional final and fall themselves to michigan seven to four um as they also beat aic in their semifinal um that same friday five to three a much closer game that i think people really uh were anticipating um again again the the yellow jacket still stingy uh and making a lot of these teams uh earn their victories um so what does that leave us? Michigan will now face Denver in the first semifinal in the Frozen Four after they escaped, yes, escaped a 2-1 to victory over Minnesota Duluth uh, to get to the Frozen Four. Denver also winning a nail-biter 3-2 over UMass Lowell. So if any theme has is, is kind of come out from this, uh, from these uh, playoffs here, Noah, it's all been tight hockey games, really. And that's, uh, I think, for, for hockey fans and the purists out there, you know, if you don't have a horse in the race, you want to see good hockey games. I think, you know, this was a good tournament to say yeah. at least so far. Um, so, you know, 
obviously for for your for Huskies fans, it, there's no really moral victories, but again, a, a close matchups nonetheless up and down the lineup. Uh, Duluth, however, just north of us, uh, taking care of business on their semifinal match of 3-0 over Michigan Tech. Again, Fanti, a third straight shutout, 28 saves in that bout uh, before getting knocked, as you mentioned, again by Denver. Let's go a little bit northeast to Albany, uh, Minnesota State Mankato, four to three win over Harvard. Again, they uh, wouldn't go away quietly, yeah. as we mentioned before. Uh, then Notre Dame also taking on North Dakota, two to one. Mankato, and then as they have done all season long, if it's high scoring, if it's low scoring, they seem to win in any fashion that they can. One to nothing, a Dryden McKay shoutout. It's not like I've heard that a few times this season <laughs> before. So, uh, um, and again, another name we've heard quite a bit, Nathan Smith, the lone goal scorer in that hockey game. Uh, again, second straight frozen four for the Mavericks. Congratulations uh, uh, to those squads as they punch their tickets again off to Boston. And then, uh, holy cow, how about this? The Mavericks will face the Minnesota Golden Gophers uh, in the first matchup. Uh, actually, the second matchup, sorry, in the Frozen Four. Uh, Minnesota, again, clawing back uh, against UMass, 4-3 to three in overtime. Um, and then they get past Western Michigan, who just, again, looks to be out of gas uh, in that game. Hmm. Just not enough offensive punch to their game as well. 3 nothing that score in the Wooster final out there just west of Boston. Uh, and so the Broncos, however, you know, they didn't get to their promised land, but it still kind of kept off, you know, quite the season for them. Yeah. Their first ever trip to the NCAA Frozen Four tournament. They did actually get a win as well. Um, just unfortunately, uh, just not enough to, to get to uh, to Boston. Uh, Frozen Four, Thursday, April 7th is the two semifinal matchups. Again, Michigan and Denver at 4 Central, followed by Minnesota State and the Gophers at 7.30 p.m. Central. Championship game slated for Saturday, a day off in between for 7 p.m. Central as well. All games on ESPN two, I believe, with uh, John Bucciagrass as well as Barry Melrose. Yeah, it should be good. I uh, excited to kind of see uh, see who is going to obviously take the cake, and uh, we'll dissect that a little bit more in the extra ice session. I do have my pick for my team that I want to win, and it's probably going to piss a lot of people off. So take a wild guess on that one. Uh, anyway, uh, NHL news: the salary cap increasing by a million dollars next season. The cap is going to wow, move to eighty two point five million dollars per team for the twenty twenty two two thousand twenty three campaign. So a lot of things obviously that are going to have some implications we might touch on this at the end of the show it means a lot for the minnesota wild of all teams by the way yes but we had a lot of college signings uh, a lot of teams that did had their seasons end in the regional so what does that mean we've got a lot of players that are headed to the national hockey league here so uh buckle up here nick uh toronto uh nicholas uh Abruzzese to an entry-level deal uh harvard captain uh umass's matthew kessel is headed to st louis while teammates andre lee and josh lapina go to los angeles and anaheim uh, NCHC, Western Michigan's Ty Glover signing with Pittsburgh. Michigan Tech's Colin Sawyer is also going to Pittsburgh, while Western's Ronnie Adder, who I think is going to have a pretty good career, he signed yes. his entry-level deal with the Philadelphia Flyers. Flyers also they signing. They need all Noah. the hope they can get. Yeah. <laughs> signing Noah Cates from Duluth. Uh, great pickup for them uh, in the draft a couple of years ago. Michigan Tech also seeing Brian Hallinan, who I think is a very underrated player. He set it off to New Jersey. Uh, Duluth, the big one for them, Ryan Fanti is headed to Edmonton. He is done for his collegiate career. Uh, in Providence, Jackson Stauber heads to Chicago, along with BU's Alex Vlasic. Um, Boston College, a couple of players. Drew Hellison, who was involved in a big trade not too long ago. Uh, he's headed to Anaheim, and Mark McLaughlin is staying right around the Boston area with the Bruins. Merrimack, two players. Uh, Declan Carlisle, he was an uh, basically a free agent. He's headed to the Tampa Bay Lightning and Zach Uens to Florida. Uh, the team that I think really struggled 
uh, when it came to college signings and just kind of the off season now, so to speak for them, Omaha, it's been kind of painful mm-hmm. for them, especially in the goaltending department. Uh, their big guy, uh, Isaiah Seville, who is a junior, he signed with Vegas. Uh, they lost Brandon Scanlon to the New York Rangers and the other junior netminder, uh, Austin Ronan, he transferred to Providence. So Omaha really yeah. just suddenly losing a lot of back end depth there. Uh, kind of interesting to see where they're going to end up in the NCH. He didn't have a great season, all things considered uh, in terms of conference play. So you kind of, wonder what direction Omaha is going to be headed there. Uh, the Minnesota Wild uh, were very busy, which is a good thing and a bad thing if you're a St. Cloud State Huskies fan. We'll start in Yukon though. Vladislav Firstov, uh, he's headed to the Minnesota Wild, and St. Cloud Sam Hinches is also headed to the Minnesota Wild on a two-year deal. So really excited for Sam, really excited for him to uh, to kind of get a start, as well as uh, David Rennick. He's headed over to Los Angeles as well. Uh, you know, Nick, uh, were, were you surprised that Sam Hinches not in the slightest. Um, you know, and, and we'll obviously break more of this in detail in the main portion of the show. But um, as Michael Russo hinted that they would likely sign him, you know, just from Hench's perspective, you know, there's, you know, the, on paper, there's going to be the potential for a lot of turnover for St. Cloud um, and more so for Hench's, you know, as far as what you have to prove more at the NCAA level, I don't know if there was much more that he could have proved. So when you kind of reach this point of, you know, sort of maximizing what you get out of the college level, plus the team that you're on, um, he spent four years there. He'd been a national championship bid Um, again with what this, if this team's roster is, is, maybe losing a few pieces and maybe there's more contending pieces still there. Maybe he considers that, but even then I just don't think Sam was the type of player that was going to stick around for that extra COVID year of eligibility. And uh, to me, this is a a very non-surprising move here for Sam as well for the Minnesota wild to ink him uh, to his two uh, year entry level, which starts next year. Noah, so it doesn't start this year. He'll be on an amateur tryout with the uh, Iowa wild from what I can read uh, starting here, probably in the next uh, little bit. Yeah, so like we mentioned, Sam Hench is headed to Minnesota. Um, final year for David Rennick was this year. Uh, unfortunately, didn't get to play in his last game uh, with the team, essentially. Uh, he's headed to Los Angeles, excited for him. Uh, the big one uh, from the NCHC, Ottawa, signing Jake Sanderson from North Dakota. They yep. kind of expect him to probably get some games before the end of the season. So yes. I think he's going to wear number 85 from what I saw, um, but I could be wrong. But uh, that's what I, uh, I saw on Twitter. And you know how resourceful Twitter is and how accurate that uh, particular source is. Um, <laughs> in terms of things to expect, though, expect UMass standout Bobby Trevino to sign soon, probably out east somewhere. And North Dakota was actually the first NCHC team as well to utilize the, the transfer portal. Uh, yes. Having graduate transfer goaltender Drew DeRitter from Minnesota State. So again, trying to fill that void that's similar to what they did last year with Zach Driscoll in the transfer portal from Bemidji. Uh, North Dakota once again making moves early. And then as we head over to uh, just some of the last little tidbits here, um, you know, you talked about Sanderson signing, but you know, Ottawa, a little bit more tougher news. Their owner, Eugene Milnick, was announced by the team that he had passed away at the age of 62 on Monday. Uh, they said due to an illness, um, this was kind of kept under the radar, Noah. Um, yeah. and it, there's some cryptic language, I think, if you read the press release from Ottawa. Um, you know, you can interpret it as you wish. I don't think it, it is, you know, obviously a, you know, the important thing right now, um, you know, as, as the, the team and the community is mourning his loss. Um, 
bought the team in 2003 as they were essentially fake facing bankruptcy, uh, both him and Belleville, which is the AHL affiliate. Um, and also I believe in that purchase agreement was the Canadian tire center um, as well. So a big purchase for them um, earned a Stanley cup final, bit in 2007 earned a Eastern conference final, bit in 2017, I believe until the, the Pittsburgh yep. uh, penguins uh, took them out. Um, but so our, yeah, obviously- nine- nine playoff tenure or appearances for the senators too. And I, there's been some dry years, but their up years have really been up. I think that's fair to say. So, right. And uh, I think they're, you know, we've talked about this before, Noah in different portions of the show, but uh, they're building something in Ottawa right now. I think that still a little bit disappointing year, you could say, because I think a lot of uh, folks, including myself, expected them to take a little bit bigger of a jump, uh, but still dismissing some pieces uh, to their development. But I do think they're still building something special up there in Ottawa. They've got some good pieces, but still uh, more depth needs to be added for them to really climb out of where they had been the last couple of seasons. So again, our thoughts and our condolences to uh, the Milnick family, as well as to the organizations, to both Ottawa and Belleville. And, uh, you know, just hoping for the best as they um, deal with this unfortunate news moving forward. Um, with that, uh, we'll transfer gears. So it's never easy to, to segue out of these news. But let's go over to Pittsburgh. Uh, speaking of them, again, we mentioned them just uh, earlier. Um, how about this 11-2 throttling to Detroit just a few days ago? Um First team in the salary cap era to get 11 goals in a game. Um, so deal with that as you wish. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, last team to get over that number was the Washington Capitals in 2003, um, as they also, um, for lack of a better term, uh, kind of put the Panthers to the side 12 2. Uh, the NHL record, for those wondering, is actually 16. Uh, that was from the Montreal Canadiens. That was set back in 1920. So it's been uh, over 100 years since, uh, you know, we, we kind of seen that score. So, so I'm kind of wondering, though. So like you said, you know, the record 16 set back in 1920. So were you at that game? I mean, is that like the middle of your childhood or like? No, I, I still, even for as old as I am, uh, that was still long before I could, you know, put some thoughts together. Resist. So I know it's an easy one. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah. And I'm not sure if we will, you know, do we see it, another score like that from one team? Um, yeah, you know, I 11, think so. 12, and maybe it's possible. Um, I was actually shocked it took this long. Uh, to be honest with you, I like, I feel like scoring has really risen. Like Toronto has, you know, put up a score, you know, the other day, uh, you know, of 10 goals, I think actually on the Red Wings, I think the Red Wings are the only team to allow uh, more than 10 goals twice this season. So uh, Evgeny, correct, yeah. Evgeny yeah. Malkin with a Hattie and an assist to lead the scoring for the Penguins yesterday or whatever day it was. But I don't know. I feel like with all the offense and how skilled a lot of these teams are, I feel like it, 11 i was surprised that it's taken that long to get to that point but maybe that's just me well then there's always ebbs and flows to the nhl and how it's evolved to uh, right now you're seeing kind of a scoring up you know uptick and then usually yeah. you'll you'll start to see a little bit of that defense or a goaltending search to try to counteract that i'm surprised the houston arrows sorry the arizona coyotes <laughs> haven't uh, let up more um yeah that's another conversation that we will bury <laughs> for later um but with that being said, yes, um, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, some of, you know, the Red Wings and um, not a stat you want to be on, unfortunately, yeah. uh, a stat you do want to be on. How about Evgeny Malkin, a hat trick and one assist in that contest? Going back to that, uh, Ren Rings, uh, as you mentioned before, just, you know, probably the defensive side's kind of what's kind of what's held them back this season. Again, twice that they've had 10 goals or more in a season. Uh, I still think there's still some changes that are probably needed in, in Detroit, uh, but we'll see what, uh, Good old uh, uh, Stevie Y has up his sleeve here as we get to the offseason. However, how about this? Uh, 
Speaking of transactions, you know, the trade deadline was this past Monday, um, but the, the world is not talking about the trade that did occur. How about the trade that, well, did, but then was, you know, say it was returned per se. Yeah. Um, how about this? Vegas, um, the, the trade was supposed to be this. They were they were going to send Evgeny Dodonov um, over to uh, Anaheim with a conditional second round pick uh, in exchange for John Moore and Ryan Kessler's contract. Now, for those who are wondering why Ryan Kessler's contract, um, LTIR. Yeah. Yes, that was supposed to help them uh, with some of the players that they were expecting back from injury to be able to use them. Um, that's not going to happen now. So the Vegas uh, Golden Knights are going to have uh, some number crunching to do as we get towards the end of the regular season in their cap space. Now, I should mention this. Um the NHL GM meetings are happening right now in Florida, and they're still. It was brought up as far as do we extend the cap into the playoffs, and let's just say Gary Bettman was very through some cold water on that uh, development, at least as of right now. I'll have to see if any uh, momentum carries out for that. Um, so, why did this happen, right? Why did this trade get halted? Well, when Dadanov's contract was signed, he had a limited no trade clause in his contract, and guess whose team name was on that no trade list? That was the Anaheim Ducks. And so for those who are wondering, well, can't he waive that? Yes, he can, but that requires something in writing, something that says, hey, I waive this. And even though Anaheim's on that, I want to make sure that goes through. <clears throat> but that did not happen. So yeah. Yeah, the, the trade was null and void, and that's where we get to now. So, yeah, Noah, your thoughts on that <laughs> real quick as I'm trying to recap, recapture my voice here a little bit. Yeah, well, you know, it's important to uh, make sure that you have all articles of paper when you're uh, – you know, kind of getting ready for uh, a trade, <laughs> quite obviously. Uh, so, yeah, just a very poor error, I think, by all teams involved. A very human error, nonetheless. Uh, but that's one of the things that you should probably probably keep in mind because uh, unless you're the Minnesota Wild in the Chuck Fletcher era, no trade clauses and, and things yeah. like that don't really don't really come around very quickly. Uh, so, you know, unfortunately, it's. Uh, um, you know, something that probably has to be, be taken aware of. Uh, and I'm surprised that it wasn't, uh, is, but kind of a rookie mistake, unfortunately. But, you know, it, when you're talking about like teams around the league uh, and being aware of things, yeah. I think just, if this is Arizona, they just call us a clerical error. So no big deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, yes, I am crapping on Arizona because, uh, yeah, there there's some rumblings with some sources I've had recently that uh, say that they're all basically done. Uh, but we can save that for another day. Um, hey, let's... hey they've, they've got Jack McBain, though. Good for them. <laughs> He'll never wear an Arizona sweater the way I'm hearing it. So uh, um, let's go with this. Uh, let's, re you know, let's just uh, finish up the segment here. Um, this some injury news. Uh, Jonathan Jowen, who has been snake bit by the injury bug, yeah, uh, came back for a little bit. Now he's out again. Um, so it seems like, you know, if Montreal is probably smart to shut them down the rest of the year, they're not going places anyway. Um, yeah, so yeah it's, yeah, it's insane. What missed 22 games or whatever it yeah. was. And then before that got hit in the head with a puck, he missed six games, like somewhere in that too, came back and got hurt in his first contest back. And they actually, they sent him home. He's actually, not only is he hurt, but he's also not allowed to be around the team because of COVID precautions from a family member too. So it's yeah. What a mess. Yeah, big mess. Uh, they're still without Brandon Gallagher for another week. Uh, Jeff Petrie, I believe, is out for the season as well. Um, so uh, Montreal, though, they've actually responded quite well with uh, with Marty St. Louis being the new head coach and actually look like they were making some positive strides. Um, are probably going to have to wait till next season to really showcase what they can do. Obviously, we're expecting some more 
Um, roster changes, including the name Carey Price, potentially has actually finally been more seriously talked about being dealt just because he just can't stay healthy. So we'll see. Um, Colorado's Nathan McKinnon, this is big for the Central Division out with what's being called an upper body injury, although the you know the the very not safe rumor is that he injured his uh, his one of his hands in the fight with Matt Dumba that took place on a Sunday afternoon in that fight. And then uh, speaking of another Minnesota Wild Reason of Bahama, Columbus, Jonas Corpisalo uh, is going to be out the rest of the season now. Uh, he's going to have hip surgery, um, you know, uh, after suffering that injury. Um, New York Islanders for Cal Clutterbuck is out for the year with a shoulder injury. And also defenseman Scott Mayfield out four to six weeks, essentially the rest of the season also with a lower moderate injury as well. Welcome into episode number 105 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Noah Grant, myself, joining Nick Maxson for what is a later than normal release. If you didn't hear it in the beginning of the show, I have been a little bit sick. If you can't hear it in my voice, you probably can, uh, unfortunately. So uh, trying to kind of get over that if we can. But I did get a chance last night, Nick, uh, to watch the Isabel Cup and the PHF Championships. Of course, former St. Cloud alum Alexis Pearson and uh, a bunch of uh, former SCSU Huskies uh, women's hockey players uh, were in that game as well, too. Of course, closest one that we know, Hannah Bates as well. Uh, but Boston coming back in that game to get a 4-2 victory over the Connecticut Whale to take that title. It's only the second championship in PHF history. Boston has taken both of them now. And, uh, you know, a great hockey game. Uh, great atmosphere. Uh, it was down in Florida, so it was a pretty good uh, pretty good crowd on hand, actually, a full house uh, for that game. So uh, it was enjoyable to watch that, but stinks to be obviously sick uh, as we kind of move forward here. But nonetheless, Nick, uh, we've had some weird recording times. We'll probably continue to have maybe a little bit weird ones as things kind of change for us moving forward in the coming month or so. But uh, how have you been? How have you enjoyed your time? And uh, how much have you recovered from uh, from NCAA regional action? Not much, actually. <laughs> uh, travel has been tough. Uh, that was a 24-hour day Thursday through essentially Friday morning. Uh, again, it's been uh, offering a little bit of my what they say is expertise on uh, the you know the uh, Ice uh, Hockey Southwest podcast uh, with Scott Strandy um, and some of the crew there. It's actually been a blast talking to him. He's got 20 years of reporting experience down in Arizona as well as Colorado, uh, not covering the Denver Pioneers. So um, it's got a lot of insight into some of the dealings that are down there in the southwest part of the country, including some really nice developments for college hockey is what we are hearing and also maybe some not so good news with Arizona that nobody would ever be shocked about. Um, <laughs> we'll save that discussion for another yeah. day, Noah, but I, I um, think, I think it is important to mention because you have a lot of foreshadowing going on here. We have yes. some really interesting shows coming up for the Huskies yes, Warming House do. podcast, especially for those, not only fans of college hockey, but NHL news. There's a lot of things going on in the Southwest and in the West in general that I think will really intrigue you uh, as we move forward, but we'll save that like Nick said for another day. Yes, um, but always it's been good. You know, it's it's sad that uh, unfortunately the time as a student at uh, covering the Huskies is likely over. Um, so that was a bit of a sentimental moment. I, again, I shared that uh, on Twitter Friday night after the Huskies fell to Quinnipiac. Um, it will obviously do a little bit of a breakdown with that contest here shortly, Noah. But yeah, uh, let's just say that my body's tired, um, but also understanding that I, I can't take myself out of fifth gear yet, as uh, we're about wow, four weeks away from uh, graduation. I can't believe I'm saying that, uh, but more so, it is uh, it is job searching time. It's in full high gear right now. 
Um, so it, it's, it's an interesting time in my life right now. Um, I've been grateful for the journey that uh, the Huskies have not only provided me as opportunities to, to grow as a broadcaster and to grow in terms of the game of hockey and to meet the people I've met, except for you, Noah, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Saw that but, one coming. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. I kind of set that one up. Didn't I? Uh, foreshadowing was very obvious for that one, but I, I, uh, I think, I think we're one for one today. I think we are. So <laughs> it doesn't, it, it's not normal for me to get any points in the scoreboard so i'll take them when i get them um unless caleb peabody decides to interject and then i get a negative one on the scoreboard so but uh yeah it, it's it's been a part of the french has been a hell of a ride um it's it's not over yet which is good but uh, certainly things are in uh, officially a transition time and uh it, it's it's definitely you know you're looking back and um although uh, like i mentioned before i'm exhausted from the travel and from everything uh you know i, I won't ever take away the memories that i've made and the people i've met it's been it's been something i'll never forget and uh it's just uh all the good things that say must come and do an end and uh new adventures do await in front yeah definitely uh still waiting for my allentown steak this time though unfortunately they uh, didn't have steak available it was just pizza <laughs> Uh, so I, even uh, I didn't get one. So we'll, we'll ask Caleb and see what he thinks. Uh, spe <laughs> speaking of Allentown, though, the St. Cloud State men's hockey team, uh, obviously, like Nick mentioned, their season is over. We did have a trivia question about it. So let's jump right into some St. Cloud hockey, shall we? Uh, men's hockey finished the season with 45 power play goals this season. Uh, the Division II, Division Three record was 46, set in 1979-80. However, in the Division One era, which season had the most power play goals at the Div 1 level? And how many goals was it? A uh, season I don't expect you to get. I actually don't expect you to get this at all, but we'll see. <laughs> you know, in my memory, then no, you're absolutely right. So, All right. Well, what do uh, you got? Wasn't it not that much more than what they had this season, like 45 or 46? Okay. Well, that's your guess. What's what's the year? Oh two, oh three. Oh, you're actually pretty close in the year. Uh, 2001, 2002, Tinner Heath was our winner on the leaderboard. St. Cloud State, most power play goals in a season, 73. Oh, I was close. Not Holy even. crap, right? <laughs> oh, like, like, I, like, I thought that was a typo. It might still be a typo. Like, maybe it was supposed to be 37, but apparently 73 is the answer. Um, so, yeah, last year's team uh, was tied for the uh, the least power play goals given up last year with 21 this year's team actually only gave up 24 so um on the power play side actually kind of interesting uh we'll talk about some more stats on that as well uh so like i said tinner heath was our winner he's got six wins on the board for season three um your favorite that you always can never understand what i'm trying to say c-h-s-t-r-c-p-p-r-p-t 33 has four points on the board and 12 others have one point so why am i saying that season three of two line fan trivia ends on april 16th of course, every Saturday at noon. So there are three chances left to win a hat from us this Saturday, next Saturday, and the following Saturday after that. That's it for season three of trivia. And our second place person, which I'm not going to read all those letters and numbers again, uh, <laughs> has to win all three to beat Tinner Heath in this one. So we'll have to see how that one shakes out. Um, but St. Cloud State, their hockey season is done. It's over. As always, Nick, I have your favorite portion of the show. I have some stats for you to recap the Huskies hockey season. So uh, if you give me about two minutes, all pretty conventional ones here, but I think kind of highlights the ebbs and flows of this year. So St. Cloud was exactly 500 in the NCHC and 571 in terms of winning percentage overall this season, 37 games played 18, 15 and four overall. They were 10, 10 and four in the NCHC good enough for fourth place at 36 points, just edging out Duluth with the tiebreaker to get home ice. We saw how that went St. Cloud, 
Uh, most overtime games played in the NCHC this season was seven. The next closest was Duluth with six. Duluth was three and three. The Huskies were two and five in overtimes. 133 goals for, 97 goals against. I'm curious, Nick. 133 goals for, where do you think that ranks in the NCHC? I know it's either second or third. It is third. Uh, Denver is first, 167. Crazy year for them. Right? And Western Michigan, actually. Western. Okay. Yeah, 138 for them. 97 goals against. Where does that rank in the NCHC? Not good. Um, fifth or sixth? Third, actually. Oh. Denver University, uh, 90 goals allowed. Duluth, 93 goals allowed. St. Cloud, 97 goals allowed. In fact, no other team, if I'm not mistaken, is one other team or no other teams actually didn't stay below 100 goals allowed this season in the NCHC. So the Huskies actually doing a pretty decent little job. I think it's it's easy to forget about the games that they played were like Miami or something like that, where they were able to kind of limit teams to you know some low-scoring games, especially in the first half. Uh, uh, power play percentage, uh, one of the best in the nation, uh, 31% on the nose, 45 for 145 on the year. Penalty kill, they allowed 24 goals and 131 shorthanded opportunities, 81.7% for them on the season. 1,179 shots for, 1,013 shots against for a plus 166 advantage. They were plus 114 in period number one this season. Plus 51 in the second, plus seven in the third, minus six in overtime. 3.59 goals for, 2.62 goals against. But here's the caveat, Nick. The Huskies. Two and six in one goal games this season. Yep. One nine and three when the opponents scored first. And they were one four and four uh, when it came to games that ended up in overtime in some particular fashion. So um, kind of interesting to see some of the trends that were going on for this Huskies team. They kind of remind me, quite honestly, of Denver last year. A team that the pieces didn't quite click for whatever reason. And they couldn't buy a bounce. They couldn't get over the hump in those one goal games. Think about that. Think about the Huskies had seven overtime games. They went two and five in those games. Imagine if St. Cloud goes six and one in overtimes. Are we having the same discussion of panic that we had all season long? They would have been either more comfortably in third or maybe even second place in the NCHC. And talk about what those wins do as far as momentum does. I mean, that change, like, I should say could have changed a lot of fortunes. Unfortunately, it did not. Yeah, unfortunately. So final little tidbits here as far as the stats trade is concerned. Kevin Fitzgerald paced, paced the entire team in goals and points uh, with 17 goals, 19 assists, 36 points on the year for him. Uh, just for him. Yeah, just shy of a point per game. Only two players for the Huskies were point per game players. Nick Perbix was second on that list in terms of total points, 31 for him in 31 games, 25 assists. Uh, to cap off his senior season, exactly a point per game. Uh, Sam Hanches was the other point per game player at 1.1 points per game uh, with 22 points in 20 games. Of course, missed a lot of time uh, with injuries and also with the international side as well, too, in terms of the Olympics. Uh, but Yami Kranola, Zach Okabe, Easton Brodzinski round out our top five at 30 points, 28 and 27 points, respectively. On the goaltending side, uh, Joey Lambert saw the single game against St. Thomas, but otherwise it was David Reddick, 31 games for him, 16-11-4, 66 goals allowed, just under 1,800 minutes, and had a 9-1-4 save percentage to go along with a 2-2-6 goals against average. Jackson Caster, nine games played, two wins, four assists, 24 goals allowed, 
195 saves for a 321 and an 8.9 save percentage. Nick, I think this is probably as good a point as any uh, to start with the game against Quinnipiac, the, the game that ended the Husky season. Uh, five goals on 16 shots. Not uh, ideal. For Jackson, Caster, and Nat, the Huskies, I thought, played exceptional in a lot of areas of the ice. Um, I have my thoughts about the Jackson Caster situation, um, but I kind of want to hear your thoughts first. I'd like to, I'd like to break it down goal by goal a little bit if we can. Um, but your overall thoughts of the game against Quinnipiac, what did you think? What did you like from the Huskies? What didn't you like? Uh, how would you kind of assess the overall performance? Overall was okay. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if I was enamored with their play as you are. Yeah. Um, but couple of things that you have to take into consideration. Quinnipiac was very aggressive in the neutral zone. Um, they were very good clogging things up. And St. Cloud, especially at the end of the first, really kind of played into Quinnipiac's game plan in terms of, you know, St. Cloud wanting to carry the puck in with possession uh, into the offensive zone. Quinnipiac was standing up at the blue line, sometimes three or four wide. Um, and then they were really hesitant to just really just give it up and go get it. Um, unfortunately, also for Quinnipiac, this got some pretty good skating defensemen, which made uh, that a little bit more difficult. Again, when you when you give up the puck, you got to put it into an area or at least come with speed, so that way you can at least be a first touch on the puck or at least have a chance to create a 50-50 battle. Um, they didn't do that for a lot of the end of the first, so I was not pleased uh, with that. They eventually adjusted in the second period and really got back to kind of that grind, uh, that you know sort of workman mentality. But yeah. Let's break down a couple of those goals. I would say, if I'm being fair, now, before we go into Jackson Caster, I think a couple of things. This was a tough draw for Jackson Caster. Yeah. Um, not only going back to the NCHC frozen faceoff in terms of the limited minutes that he played, yeah. but also he's playing some pretty darn good hockey teams. Um, for yeah. any goaltender as a backup, when you're you've been so limited, um, and when you go back to say the Brett Larson. Um, you know, when there was kind of more of a goalie rotation in some years, you kind of wonder why, you know, coaches do that. You know, it's and, not necessarily. And, and we tweeted, and we, sorry, and we tweeted it, by the way, besides the two games against Duluth and Quinnipiac in that succession, Jackson Castor had actually not had back-to-back -back starts besides the single series against Western Michigan back in November in his Huskies career. So put like put right. that in perspective, you know, um, but that, you know, it just highlights really how difficult of a call this was. Um, yeah. for, for the play. So I do feel for Jackson Caster because he really was put in a position, you know, that arguably no team would have put their goaltender in unless they had to. And frankly, because of David Rennick's medical clearance, they had to. Yeah. Um, and you, you, you talk about Rennick and I suppose how his emotions were, cause he was suited up. He took warm ups. Now, mind you, you know, that's about it. You know, had yeah. Caster really had, struggled more um Lamaru would have gotten the call it wouldn't have been Rennick so I, I just want to make sure you know fans know that that when yeah. you're cleared as an emergency basis only basically unless both Lamaru essentially I think they would have to have gotten hurt so even if the performance was bad unless there was a medical reason that they couldn't go that was the only way Rennick was coming in the game so but I would say two if not three of those goals I'm sure Jackson at the moment and also looking back up we'll probably want to have back um, there yeah. were some, there were some times where I think he was overplaying the puck a little bit. Um, I think he, he didn't look like he was settled into the game. And again, when you're a backup goaltender, not seen as much time consistently, you're in a big game. You understand the expectations. That's a lot to throw on Jackson Castor's shoulder. Yeah. 
Um, but and how about how about the fact that he saw 16 shots in that hockey game? One of the things that yeah. I think is, is important to point out, and it's very hard for goaltenders to only see limited shots. The other thing yes. too, a lot of the shots that Quinnipiac got ended up being great A's or chaotic chances because when they did get shots through, the Huskies did a really good job of blocking shots in that game against Quinnipiac. But what does that mean? When pucks finally get through, they're going off legs, they're going off bodies, they're coming in through screens. They're difficult pucks to track as a goaltender. And when you don't get a chance to feel the puck or see the puck, and like you said, you have limited minutes not only all season but in your Huskies career, that's a hard thing to adjust to. And I think people, I think the frustration from Huskies fans, and, and I get it, I totally get it, is that the Huskies probably played their best game in about a month. And yeah. they probably should have won that hockey game. I think if they get another save or two, they, they win that hockey game, quite obviously. But let's yeah. go back. Let's go back to this. Goal number one right off the drop here was kind of I, – I don't know if it was redirected. It's kind it of hard not. to tell. It but was the, not. But the one thing that I, I think even if it was redirected, you can't get beat short side from the point like that. You know, if he gets beat far side, I, I get it. Um, that's one I think he wants to have back. I'll definitely, 100% he definitely wants go, that one back. Go with that one. Goal number two, nice little crossing pattern there. Good shot. Uh, good shot against the green. Getting a goaltender moving that one way nice. going the other way. That's a good shot. Really nice play. Um, so I don't fault Jackson on that one. I, I think he'd like to have them all back, but that's every goalie. But really, it was a breakdown of defensive coverage. Spencer Meyer tries to run the switch and isn't able to catch the shooter. The shooter shoots in a pretty prime scoring area. And like I said, he's moving to his right, shoots back across the green to his left, just inside the post. Good shooters, good goal scoring goal. Uh, goal number three. I can't really tell what happened on this one. So this is the one that I'm kind of iffy about because I can't really tell. I don't know if it, I don't think it went in clean, but it was a shot from the half wall that if it went in clean, you can't get beat from there, obviously. But from what I saw, I think it was clean. Yeah. From my angle. From what they showed on the TV though, like, I mean, if it went off a couple of legs in front and then redirected back against the grain five hole, it looked like Jackson didn't see it well. Or did did anticipate it? Just his body language after that made me think that it did something it, he didn't expect it to do. Now, does that let him off the hook? I don't think so. But it's a lot different if it's a shot from the half wall that hits a defender two and a half feet in front of Jackson and goes the other direction. This one I couldn't tell. It's it, it's hard. It's really hard when you dissect it. Yeah. After the fact, right, Noah? Because you know, again, I think. When I, when I summarize Jackson Castro's play, especially after that first one, because people looked at it as deflection, that went off his own stick. That yeah. went off of Jackson's own stick. He overplayed that puck. Um, I think there was a, a few chances where I do think he was a little bit overzealous in terms of his movement across the crease. Yeah. And it's one of those where, as a goaltender too, and granted, I'm not a goalie coach, but sometimes if you feel like you've let in some soft ones, right there, there's a tendency to want to be on top of your crease more to yeah. slide to try to cover the short side, which means you're leaving your far side open as well. I kind of got that sense from Jackson a little bit where I kind of felt like he felt like he had to redeem himself a little bit and try to put the team on his shoulders. Yeah. And when deflection shots come through or, when we rephrase that, when you're a goaltender, you got traffic in front and it wasn't necessarily a lot, but sometimes you anticipate, a tip when really it didn't happen. I don't think, and if it was, it wasn't enough. And to me, it was again, from my vantage point, again, up in the press box and actually seeing a good angle from it. It wasn't where I don't think he was playing the shot. I think he was playing for a redirect. And that's sure. again, why I, I made the assumption. I think he just was trying to do a little bit too much in the crease. Yeah. Um, now, is that fair? Maybe. Is it unfair? Also, maybe kind of depends on your interpretation. But to me, I think, again, it goes, just goes back to the, 
to just him being the starting net minder and it's a tough try either way. Um, yeah. Crap, so, crap, crappy bounce regardless. Um, crappy bounce. Uh, uh, you you but, kind of mentioned though, and you actually alluded to the last two goals very well. Uh, goal number four, no chance, no chance. No beautiful, beautiful redirect uh, goal number five, little deep in his crease. Uh, and I and think, he was down early too. Right. And, and I think that part of that was, uh, I, I don't remember who the defensive one was, who was right in front of him, but the shot came through traffic and maybe he's expecting it to maybe go off a leg in front there. Yep. Uh, so kind of what you were talking to. So I would say uh, if you, if you say the third one, he should have had, I'd say three out of five, you know, he, he should have yep. had, I think that's fair. Um, but nonetheless, and uh, if you're going to be liberal, maybe or conservative too, at least. Yeah. Right. But nonetheless, I, I, I really hesitate to put that entire game on him. There's a lot no, more that there's a lot no. more that goes into it than just that. Um, I'm not even going to say anything about the fans because season's over and it's whatever. But uh, <laughs> you know, at the, at the same time, uh, the Huskies, uh, in terms of their skaters, for the most part, like you said, they got stronger as the game went along. They had a good push. They they, made they didn't take penalties. They didn't, they take, didn't penalties. take penalties. They they were the first team to put four goals up on Quinnipiac all season. Yep. A lot of great things. I think a really great high note to end on. And I think it just, it feels a little bitter because you say, oh, if Jackson would have gotten that one, or maybe that save was there. If the Husky, if Micah Miller could have scored at the end of the second period, you know, that game looks totally different. It's 3-3 entering the third period. Uh, I mean, would you, would you take that in a regional hockey game? I yeah. would, yeah. you know, and obviously you want to be ahead, but. And, uh, you know, and that's where that goal, like 23 seconds into the third, if I remember correctly, that yeah. that stings it because it's not that you go ahead as the fact that you're not even really settled into the period and trying to build on something and you get scored on. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, I know that fans are talking, oh, shot from the point can't go in. It's like, well, if the shot directs or pinballs eight different ways, are you still saying the same thing? No. Um, so now. And this may be not the fair statement, but I do. And this is a positive and a negative. Do I, if, if Rennick is in the net, do I feel like this game is, do I think the Huskies win this game? Actually, I do. Yeah. And that's not a disrespect to Jackson Caster. Um, Cause again, I've said it multiple times on this episode. I'll say it again. He was put into a really, really crappy situation. He really was. Yeah. Um, and I do think the team rallied around quite a bit with them. Um, but I do it's think, yeah, yeah, David, David had the yeah. experience. And I do think that there was some of those, saves that Jackson didn't make that I think he did, he would have made. Um, and that's not, I don't think an unfair statement to make. Um, it's just, unfortunately the, you know, it is what it is kind of thing. Um, yeah, you they know, put- it's interesting because I think that if you took these two teams and put them over a seven game series, even with Jackson and net, I think the Huskies win the series. I do too, actually. You know, um, you know, like, I do. I, I think that they played well enough. Um, I definitely think in the third they they pushed hard. Now again, that fifth goal that was, you know, in the words of Gord Miller, that was a backbreaker. Um, yeah. Because you know, again, you you talk about the emotions and the swing of the game, right? No, if you're a forward or if you're Jackson, and you realize that that puck I should have had, or if you're forward, like man that was a tough one that can really take wind out of your sails quite rapidly. And I don't think St. Cloud bowed down from that. I really don't. I mean, the, the Walker goal was 76 seconds left um, to give him a chance. And they were two really good chances. Yeah. The puck got through and, you know, they were hacking and whacking away. And, you know, if Peretz wasn't firm on his pads down on the ice, maybe you slide one through. And again, the Mike and Miller, they, they gave himself a chance to win. Yeah. Um, it's just unfortunate that, you know, you know, when you get a two goal lead in the third, you know, that can become a tough mountain to climb. They, they made it a one goal game. And again, that's, it's tough, but that's, that's a good hockey game. It really is. Yeah. It, 
Yeah, it is. Uh, speaking of hockey games to kind of look forward to here, by the way, speaking of people that aren't going to return, you have three forwards, two defensemen, and a goaltender that for sure will not return. Uh, of course, Sam Henches, like you mentioned, just signing with Minnesota. He was one of the uh, eligible ones that was eligible actually for next season that he won't return. With COVID, but, yeah, eligibility. Yep. Yeah, but but as far as guys that are uh, on their way out regardless, David Rennick, of course, signing with LA, but he was done regardless. Kevin Fitzgerald is done. Luke Jayhawk, Jaycox, Seamus Donahue is done. Yep. And I believe Easton Brodzinski is done. He was technically I'm, a redshirt senior, but I think he's done. I think he's done too. Yep. Yeah. So that leaves Nick Perbrick. So we have yet to hear any information. He's the only draft pick on the list uh, for the eligible to return. He's a Tampa Bay Lightning draft pick. We've heard nothing from that yet. Nolan Walker is eligible. Micah Miller on the forward side at Aiden Spellacy. And then on the back end, uh, you have Brendan Bushy and Spencer Meyer, the captain of this hockey team, who are all eligible to return. So I have some thoughts on, yeah. on, on Nick Perbix. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you said that you weren't surprised that Sam signs Nick Perbix. Not at all. Nick Perbix? Uh, I'm not surprised, actually. And I'll, I'll give you a reason why. So my press box seat um, in Allentown, I got to to meet uh, the the writer of Sportsology, who is a New York prospects writer. Um, he has been covering prospects in twenties, and we were talking both the AIC and Michigan game as well as the St. Cloud game. Uh, really, really fun to to pick his brain with prospects. And the one thing, and this isn't a knock on Nick Perbix, but the one thing I mentioned to him was he was watching this. He's like, he was a fifth round pick at the Lightning. I'm like, yeah, he's good, but I'm like, if there's one thing, his foot speed. Yeah, it's, it's and, and it's part of it, and it's a twofold question too, right, Noah? Because you can skate fast, but just the way you approach the game, you can slow the game down. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, with Nick Perbix, and I feel like in and Baltimore organizational wise, there's a lot of depth in the Lightning defensive corps. Yeah. So I think that plays into the decision here as well. Um, but do I think that there's room for Perbix to grow still? Actually, I do. I feel like if if Perbix and it's maybe one picky thing, but if he can figure out a way to speed up what he does, um, he is a complete package defenseman um, who's got offensive instincts who can get back. He's, he does great angles. He battles in front of the net, but I feel like sometimes um, he, he just he sometimes gets indecisive with the puck as he has yeah. it on the stick. Uh, again, just his foot speed and just the way that he carries forward. Uh, and maybe that's just instinctual because he's a defenseman, not making sure to turn the puck's over, but in the NHL things happen so quick. And if you're not quick, um, you end up becoming your own worst enemy. So he's the player to watch. If he's one that might come back, he would be the one that I would tag. Um, and it's not just yeah. because of him, but also just organizational wise. I don't know if you're signing with, with a, with a squad, you want to have yourself a crack at it. Um, it's going to be tough. I wouldn't be shocked if he goes to Syracuse as well um, to, to see if that's, if, but again, yeah, I, I kind of I feel know. like I, I, I would be shocked to see him back. And I kind of feel it because him and Sam Hedges were the two best players for the Huskies this year, 100%. besides, besides David Reddick. And, yes. you know, I kind of feel like if Tampa, uh, if Tampa was ready to take a stab at him, I feel like it would have happened already. I really do. Now, I disagree. Now, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I have this feeling that he's going to be back and I could be totally 110% wrong. I just, I, I feel like Tampa is an organization that is really understanding about what they have and is really understanding about where pieces fit. And, you know, Correct. obviously with how long Steve Eisner was there and then um, Julian Breesbois, who, who of course is there now. He's done a great job. Yeah. They've done a fantastic job. I feel like if they felt that Nick was a good good fit on either squad, either on the big squad or in Syracuse, I feel like that move might have been might have been done by now because they they signed other players. 
Okay. They have. And the other part of it is too, Noah, is it's not just about fit, but where he's in his development too, right? Yeah. And what's best for his development. Um, you know, and, 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 and at the end of it, it's ultimately up to Nick, right? Oh, you know, yeah. they could, they, we could have missed this and it's very possible. They made a pitch to, to Nick and say, Hey, yeah. we're looking to sign you to uh, you know, an, an AHL yeah. deal or whatever it is. Um, or maybe they said, maybe you need some time in the ECHL, right? We just don't know. And ultimately yeah. it is up to Nick to himself to decide that future. And uh, obviously we'll, we'll keep an eye on it, but um, you know, or, we'll, or they, we'll see how it goes. They could have come back with the same exact thing and said, you know, in terms of development, maybe you stay at the college game and we want to see One you control, w- control a hockey game, legitimately control a hockey game with your speed, with your hockey IQ and kind of be, um, I thought Nick Perbix was really good this year. So this doesn't detract, yes. detract anything, but kind of be Jake Sanderson esque. And what I mean by that is where, you you notice Jake every single night. Everyone talks about him. You know, how many people talked about Nick Perbix? I don't know that he really got the love that he really should have gotten for the season that he had. But well, there's two different players, right? Jake Sanderson gets a lot of discussion because he's flashy. Yeah. Um, you know, he's just a more dynamic offensive piece in the blue line, whereas Nick is, as I mentioned before, he's more of the laid back, he's more of slow things down type of game. And yeah. you know, to add to your point, you know, controlling is, is twofold. It's not necessarily taking over, but it's also, you know, I think just what you want to see at the next level or what you anticipate, right? So if, if I'm Julian Breezewad, I'm watching Nick Perbix, does a lot of things well, but maybe it's like, hey, I want you to do these things, but maybe do it a little bit faster because in the NHL or even the AHL, the speed at which you're doing these things is too slow. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's part of it. Again, I don't know that for a fact. Maybe that's part of the conversation. But um, again, you know, Perbix deserves all the accolades that he has. He's been, uh, you know, defenseman of the week. I think wasn't he defenseman of the month in January? If I'm not, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. So he's got the tools. We all know that he, he's proven yeah. a lot. But again, these, you know, when you get to the next level and these developments, there's certain intangibles that you have to possess. And you know, you know, and again, we don't know the specifics with Nick. But you know, if I'm guessing, if it's one thing, it'd be just the speed in which he processes the game would be the one thing I'm looking at if I'm a scout or you know maybe in their department to go maybe that's one thing he's got to improve on but that's one thing he does a lot of things very very well and the reason why he's you know where is where he's at yeah kind of curious to see the freshman group obviously that comes in for St. Cloud we don't have a whole lot of information on that but the one one. the one thing that you you had mentioned speaking of speed uh, a couple guys that maybe I could see back I feel like we could really see Micah Miller back for a fifth year uh, I could see that. I could really see that. Um, Spencer Meyer, I'm about 50-50 on. I could see him coming back. I could also see him kind of going on to his next thing, uh, you know, uh, being the captain of this team. Uh, uh, Brendan Bushy, I, I don't really know. I, I, I feel like maybe not. Uh, I don't Aiden, see him back. I don't see Aiden Spellacy back either. I don't know. Uh, the, the one that is the other question mark for me is Nolan Walker, and mostly because Nolan Walker had a – he didn't have a down. He didn't have a down year. I mean, he was he was sixth in points on this team. Inconsistent he, would be the best word. But but he didn't have the year he had last year. Where last year he kind of became a go to guy that created a lot, and he didn't really do that this season. So does he believe that he's got one more in him? Uh, and again, you talk about the size of this freshman class. How big is the class going to be? If it's a bigger class, like you maybe alluded to. How much room does Brett Larson have on his roster? You know, for guys that that he feels is important. You know, but. Well, uh, and you know, in this twofold, right? You, you want some veteran players to assimilate the young clubs and to show them what it's like to play in college hockey in Division One. And we all know the culture of this hockey club is, you know, 
is first class, right? So I yeah. think you could lean on guys if they return like Mike and Nolan Walker, if they choose to do so, right? The other part of it is, as a coaching perspective, right? And this is a totally different conversation, Noah, but, you know, we had the wave of babies a couple of years ago. Sometimes, yeah. you know, these big freshman classes who are now going to be juniors, actually this upcoming year, uh, Zach Okabe, you know, Vidi Miatnin, which he's not going anywhere for those who were discussing him. There is no way he's going. There's so yeah, many facets to his game that need improving, uh, especially yes. in terms of a stature and just battle level, especially he was a ghost most of the season. He, if anything, probably the biggest disappointment for the Huskies this season, although the yeah. numbers, if you looked at his numbers, Noah, not far bad as far as like his production, but in terms of his on ice impact, I thought really took a step back. Yeah. Um, I think it, it's kind of a comparison. Do you remember Yami Cradle his freshman year versus his sophomore year and how yes. much of a buzzsaw we love that word that yes. he became though, where you noticed he was hard in on four checks. That was a Sam Hentges thing too. Sam Hentges yes. was noticeable when he was going, you knew that he was a factor on the ice really uh, I would say Vieti Vietnin kind of reminds me of a, of a little bit speedier Easton Brodzinski right now, where when he scores, you notice, but when he doesn't, he's kind of invisible. He's, he's invisible. You know? yep. So kind of curious. I could see Nolan Walker 50-50. Micah Miller, I think, is your best bet for a guy to return. Now, obviously depends a little bit on the academic side, too. Do they have an academic route that they're able to pursue? Uh, my final question here for you about the Huskies, Nick. Do they do they take a stab at the at the transfer portal? A couple big names out there, maybe a good fit for the Huskies. Chase Primo, 23 points for Omaha. He's someone you maybe get a look at. Goaltending, there's been the discussion, obviously, with their performance against Quinnipiac. Do the Huskies take a stab at the transfer portal, or do they feel like that their freshman class and their returners are going to get the job done? So a couple things, right? Now, the head coach is always going to give you the answer is, well, if I have an opportunity to improve my team, I will, right? Um, at, at the end of the day, though, I think what's important to understand is the coach has to be realistic of what his roster is really going to look like and what the expectation is. Right. So now that doesn't mean that, you know, if you're a kid that looks at St. Cloud and you knock on Brett Larson's door and you feel like, Hey, I would, I need some veterans. Again, I got a very big freshman class likely coming in. Am I going to say no to that? Maybe depends on the player, depends on the fit. Right. So I don't think you're ever out of the transfer portal, but as far as, you know, also what that means for your locker room, right? So imagine that Brett Larson looks at the performances of Jackson Caster, right? And says, we, we are okay with it, but maybe I need to, you know, get somebody else in here to compete with him. Right. Um, you do realize that what message that sends to all these people, um, now I think Brett's an excellent communicator and I think he would approach that conversation well, but you do wonder what that's, what that message sends to Jackson and maybe even Joey Lamaru, right? And if you yeah. do into the, go into the transfer portal, that is, you're essentially telling them, man, to man, I don't know if you're good enough. Yeah. Right. Which, which, which might actually be a good thing though. It might be good for competition and push all those guys right. to, to kind of say, Hey, it's a free for all, all three of you who wants the starting job. Let's see. And it's never a bad thing. We had both rent, you know, all three of them on the podcast and they mentioned that the same thing, they all push each other. Um, but at the end of the day, you're looking at raw skill and talent too, right. From a coaching perspective. And you kind of wonder, um, it, and maybe part of it is you look at how young this team is looking like, again, we don't know what is going to happen a few months from now, but if, things just go status quo to the paper, right? It's going to be a very young club, likely going to, it's going to be a retooling year, right? Um, so maybe you say, you know what? Does it really make sense to go out and get, you know, a big goal for what might be unexpected? And hey, you never know. Maybe this freshman class comes in and maybe they shock the world. We've seen that happen yeah. before, right? So 
I don't know. Uh, you know, you're never going to say no. Do I, do I think that they are actively looking at the transfer portal? Maybe. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, the way that I, I think the, especially in hockey, now that you not have to set out a year, I think that uh, sort of the uh, the stigma that's on people who enter the transfer portal is kind of gone by the wayside, right? Um, it's kind of exciting. It, it kind of is, right? So yeah. it's, you know, and it gives players an opportunity where maybe they go into a system and they're excited about it. And maybe the, the, the coach or the system just isn't what they thought they were. And they get an opportunity to go still play college hockey. And I think that's important. Just a side note to continue to grow the game, allow them to still keep playing the game. Um, but, you know, I, I would say, St. Cloud has used the transfer portal in the past. I wouldn't be shocked if they go out and do it again. Um, whether that means players are going to them or they go out and get them wouldn't shock me, um, but we'll wait and see. To cap off the regular portion of the show, Nick, trivia question, because you, sure. th- you made me think of it. What episode were the three goaltenders on? Oh, God. <laughs> I actually remembered it, which, which, ter- which terrifies me that I remember it. 82. But... We'll just take a stab at it. It was... Episode number 26 on August 29th of 2020. Was it really that long ago? Wow. Right? How? Wow. Only four episodes prior was our first ever uh, video portion, our video, first ever YouTube video of the podcast. You know who our guest was then, by the way? Oh, God, you're killing me. <laughs> um, was that Fitzy? It was uh, Pat Micheletti. That was Pat. Okay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Crazy. Uh, wow. Episode 105, rocking and rolling here. Just it kind of insane. I know when you go back, you go, oh, 105 episodes. That's kind of cool. And then you think about how many episodes 105 episodes is. Nick, I was doing some math, by the way. If you would count all the St. Cloud State men's hockey games, women's hockey games, and the Minnesota Wild games since we started the show, we are approaching just over 20,000 total hours of hockey, hockey watch slash covered. Um, not hours, excuse me, minutes. Hi, uh, that's it's a lot of hockey, man. Anyway, we're going to move on to uh, the most important yep. hockey of the season for the NCAAs. Uh, of course, the Frozen Four. We're going to recap the regionals and see what we think about the big dims. And welcome into the Extra Ice session for episode number 105 here. Noah Grant alongside Nick Maxson. Nick, uh, we're, we're chugging along here. Uh, as you can tell, I'm still a little bit sick, but we're almost there. Uh, the Huskies, unfortunately, uh, were also a little bit sick looking at these brackets here, but not as much as Caleb Peabody will be. We did a bracket challenge with our guests. Hopefully, if you didn't get a chance to listen to episode number 104 with our guests, Caleb J. Peabody, Marissa Voss, and Max Veach. Um, don't go listen to it now because a lot of us were wrong about stuff. <laughs> Just kidding. Very but uh, but here's what we got. We did some bracketology and uh, got to see who was right and who wasn't right. Nick, by my calculations, uh, Marissa Voss uh, mathematically can't lose uh, right now. She's got 12 points on the board. She has a perfect bracket to this point. She uh, can't lose. Yeah, getting all the picks right. The maximum amount that she could get was 15 points. But let's start from the back end. Unfortunately, Caleb J. Peabody, the maximum that he can get is 10 points. He has nine right now. The only thing he can get correct is Mankato beating Minnesota. Uh, he got the Michigan AIC game right. He got St. Cloud and Quinnipiac wrong. Denver, he got right. Uh, Minnesota Duluth, he got wrong. Uh, Western Minnesota, uh, Mankato, and Notre Dame, he got right. And he got Minnesota 
Mankato uh, at Denver, correct, but he picked St. Cloud State instead of Michigan, uh, so his bracket's kind of in trouble. Uh, next on the list, with 10 points, pulling up the second rear, that would be yourself, Mr. Nick Maxson. You are at 10 points right now. I had a perfect first day, and then things kind of went down from there. <laughs> the max that you can get is 11 points. You can only get one more point, and that would be, again, if... Uh, uh, I can get two more. Uh, you picked Duluth. No, because I because with Minnesota State in. Well, correct. I guess yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. And so you you get to twelve, but it's not looking good for you. It's not looking good. Um, I told you. So I was telling somebody earlier. I said my math is going to be wrong for at least one of these. Of course, it's yours. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got Michigan right, St. Cloud wrong, Denver and Duluth both right, Minnesota right, Mankato right, and Notre Dame right. Northeastern man. They could have, they could yeah. have. And then the one player that I thought would actually was actually my reason for picking was the one that goofed the puck like, I know. I can't believe that. So you, and, they, you, and they had a hell of a chance to win that game too. Yeah. So you did get Michigan, right? Uh, the Gophers and man, Cato, correct. But you did pick Duluth uh, did. to get to the championship game. So that one's kind of tough. So you can, like you said, get Minnesota state all the way up to 12 on uh, the max points for 12 points. Uh, also max beach. He got 11 points. He got all the same picks that, that you had except for Western Michigan instead of Northeastern, but he picked Duluth to go all the way. So he can only get 12 points total on that one as well. So, uh, kind of interesting there myself. I'm at 10 points, but I can get up to 13 because I have Michigan Mankato and then Mankato winning it all. So I got a chance there, but I did pick Michigan tech, uh, to beat Duluth, uh, facing off with Denver. And I did pick St. Cloud state. So those are my two poor picks. And Marissa Voss has picked Michigan Mankato and Mankato to win it all to get to 15 points. But Nick, Regional talk here. Any surprises for you? Any particular thoughts overall for the NCAA so far? I don't know if surprising, but maybe a little bit. How about AIC? Um, they put up a hell of a fight against Michigan. Now, to be fair, a lot of it was when Michigan got up a little bit. I think they got away from actually trying, and they started to get a little bit too cute. Right. Um, even Mel Pearson after the game had mentioned that. Um, so it, it's sort of like the... And that's what's scary about Michigan is they got more in the tank that we haven't seen yet. At least they showed up. They should. I know, right? You know what's um, crazy? They were talking about that. Had they played Western Michigan and either tied them or lost them in that game, they would not have been the one seed. No, they would not have. Because yeah. um, it was .0007 was the was the difference in the pairwise for math. So yeah, um, yeah, it's it's strange. Um, but you know, that was that was a little surprising to me. Um, Devin Levi, come on, you're killing me, Smalls. God dang it. Um, was was surprised a little bit Western Western Michigan, actually. Uh, first of all, congrats to them for winning their first NCAA you know, tournament win. Um, I thought they actually played a really good game um, in their first, and then they, uh, you know, pretty much all year, they fell flat in the second half of that. Uh, so that was, I don't want to say predictable, but it's unfortunate because they just didn't have the scoring punch depth-wise. Um, we saw that again against Duluth in the in the NCHC championship game. Um, I don't know if anything else really stuck out to me as far as surprises are concerned. Um, yeah. But uh, I'm curious if you had any thoughts on surprises, uh, Noah. Yeah, uh, obviously the Quinnipiac game was tough. I was kind of surprised. I was surprised that, and I shouldn't be, but I was surprised at how well St. Cloud pulled it together in that game. Uh, and then kind of surprised, obviously, with the result. I. Uh, I was surprised that the, the clock was not synced correctly in the Notre Dame game. 
Uh, that not, would, come on, it's ESPN. That would have been really helpful. Uh, you know, uh, and I really wonder, uh, you know, how they made the determination on that one. Not surprised that Notre Dame got the job done. I got to be honest, though, Nick. Uh, I was surprised how flat Denver was on their first night against UMass Lowell. They did not they look were flat. Good. They mm-hmm. looked a lot better against Duluth. I was also surprised that Ryan Fanti finally had Carver go against him. Yeah. Uh, with that game-winning goal, I guess. Uh, I got to be honest, though. You know, looking at the, the remaining four teams, uh, Denver, I think, is probably looks like the weakest team right now just by the way that they've been playing. I don't think statistically they are, but I think the way that they've been playing, uh, maybe Michigan, even just because Michigan. Well, they've had the uh, they haven't had to really turn it on easiest. just yet. Yeah. Yeah. I got to be honest, the team that I would not get what whoever comes out of the Gopher uh, Maverick bracket. Scary. I think the Golden Gophers. Yes, I'm going to say it. They are the team that has impressed me the most so far, to be honest with you. I know I know the Mavericks have been really good and they're a close second. But the Gophers, the way that they battled back in what was a home game slash road game for them yep. against one of the best, one of the grittiest teams in the country in UMass, who played a hell of a hockey game. They by played the way. a hell of a hockey game. Yeah. To find a way in that game and then to really control the pace against Western Michigan, they didn't do a whole lot wrong when I watched them play. They alleviated no. pressure. Their forwards got pucks past defensemen, off the glass, outside the zone every time. Everything went north. They forecheck well. They defended when they needed to. They blocked shots a ton. But then when they attacked, they were opportunistic. They established zone time. They were a complete hockey team. This and, how been... about, and, and how about this, Noah, to finish to finish your thought almost for you? I'm sorry for jumping in. Yeah. Um, they're getting the goal screen from their big names when it's yeah. counted. Um, for and, they're those... getting, and they're getting goaltending, too. And for those who we think Maddie Nyes is taking front of the year, that's a big question mark. I think Toronto <laughs> will be calling him his name pretty quickly, even though from a development point, should they? Probably not. But if you're <laughs> Toronto has a history of just, you know, maybe getting a little too anxious with their with their draftees, but um, he's, a, would, he's, a, he's a true freshman. He's a true freshman. Yes. Um, I mean, he's a stud like he he's one. Of, and uh, my parents are Gophers fans. So um, for those of you who did, kind of catch that in the earlier portion of the show. I actually am cheering for the Golden Gophers all the way through. And it was it was kind of nice to be a fan again, to kind of just sit and just watch the game, not think about it too much. But um, not that I ever really think that much anyway. But beyond that, uh, Matty Nye, as my dad and I were talking about it, he might be one of the best Gopher freshmen to come through. In a while. In a long time. If not ever. I mean, because he, yeah. he has, he's got the skill. He's got the skinny bit. One thing he's brought that, a lot of other freshmen that have come through and have really been, he's got the size. Yeah. I mean, he is the complete package. When you talk about, you know, grit, speed, skill, skill. Um, you know, and to me, that goes back to the same question with Nick Perbix, right? And as in in his development, is he, does he have more to prove at the NCAA level? I don't know if he does. Yeah. I don't know if he does. Um, Unless, unless the Gophers get to a title game and don't win, and they believe that they're going to retain a lot of their guys, I, which is a question. I don't even mark. think that because you know, and here's why I say that: when yeah. an agent, when an agent, or when a team comes knocking down and says, "Hey, you're ready to take the stab," and here's all yeah. a crap ton of money, I mean, your your agent's also going to be like, you know, that's, it's not that's about just the team anymore. It's about you. 
That's just go for hockey too, right? They yeah. always have a lot of roster turnover. I think Brock Faber might be gone after this year. Boy, did he look really good yes, in both of those games. Uh, you and know, Byron sometimes Jack- looks solid too. Yes, he has. Very good. I don't think he's drafted. Maybe he's drafted. Jackson Lacombe looked really good. Lugged a lot of heavy minutes for that team too. So Minnesota is a team that scares me right now. They're a, they're a good hockey team. Now, I think the one team that has a chance to get them is Minnesota State. Yeah, they're a very good hockey team too. And they're a good team because I think where the Gophers – are controlled in terms of controlling the game offensively. Mankato does a good job of controlling the game defensively. In and the more way balanced. That, yeah, the way that they're able to kind of adapt to the game a little bit. Yes. I think the Gophers do really well kind of forcing their system upon the other team versus Mankato does a good job of taking another team's system and shoving that same game or the complete opposite game right back in their face. So that's going to be a hell of a hockey game. That's going to be the best game to watch. Yeah, honestly, Um, late night game, prime time. It it should be good. Uh, I guess if you're looking at both the games, uh, the Michigan Denver game, I think has a chance to either be really close or really boring. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I think it can go either way, but in your opinion, who do you think makes it to the title game between those two hockey games? Well, I had Minnesota State and Duluth in my bracket, right? So, which means I have a new horse I have to pick in the upper bracket. <laughs> um, I'm going to go against your will and say Denver. Okay. And here's why Michigan, now they have proven yet that their skill can carry them far. And again, what's scary about Michigan is I don't think we've really seen the full throttle version of Michigan just yet. I don't. Um, and up and down the lineup is Michigan, just the most talented team in the country, 100%. No one can take that away from them. But you do wonder if Denver is able to shut down the top two lines, uh, Bordelow, Brisson, uh, Matty Berniers, um, just to name a few, right? Uh, you wonder if Denver has got a chance. I think they do. Now, the key to that is going to be, well, Magnus Corona and their yeah. defensive core. Um, and I do feel like Denver's got the depth where if they're able to you know, neutralize those top two. I think they do have a little bit of an advantage in the bottom six. Um, but again, how do you keep a high flying NHL talent level team off the board? It's a very tall task, but I think Denver can do it. I think they can skate with them. Although their talent may not be, you know, say even out. I do think that they can play a system that can, that can break through and, and shut them down. Um, it's going to be, probably i don't know if i want to call it a boring game but it's going to be a, a tight battle i do think denver can pull it off i really do and i think it'll be denver and minnesota state with still the mavericks i'm i'm pulling for the mavericks not just because they're my bracket but for that for minnesota state who has been close i love their group of people um mike hastings a former st cloud you know player himself has got great ties he's got a sponsored locker room inside the huskies men's locker room for those who don't know so he, he's committed and he gives back um that would be great for Minnesota state to be able to pull that off. And I think they have the team to do it. I really do. Yeah. I would be happy with whoever comes out of that bracket uh, in the bottom half, winning it, to be honest with you, just because I, I grew up as a Gophers fan, obviously uh, I, I think Michigan is going to get it done. I know we've kind of discussed this a little bit. I actually think the Gophers are going to go all the way, dude. I really do. Uh, they just, like I said, when I watched them because they came in winning nine, I can't their- mute you from my side. Can I? <laughs> I suppose I could just pull out the earphones. Yeah, but. yeah. You, you know, I uh, they came in winning nine of their their previous ten. Their only loss coming in the Big Ten championship game against Michigan. 
I don't know. I, I There were some question marks with this team. Could they put it together at tournament time? They have exceeded expectations for me. Uh, again, like I've talked about, just the way that they played. Now, like we just talked about, if there's one team that can best them, I do think it's Minnesota State. But I agree with you in the sense that whoever comes out of that bracket is going to win it all. I think both those teams are the two strongest teams because Michigan, Michigan is probably the best team when they put all their pieces together. But we haven't seen a whole lot of times where all their pieces have been continually rolling consistently game after game after game after game. Minnesota, ever since really, since LaFontaine left, has found that consistency. And how how odd would it be if once you lose him, they ended up going and winning a national championship? That would be just a weird... That'd be the most hockey story in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it definitely would. So regardless, excited to obviously see how that all shakes out. Like you, like you had kind of mentioned earlier in the show, uh, the... Times are set for Thursday, April 7th, so a couple of weeks. Michigan uh, hosts Denver, 4 o'clock Central Time, and then 7.30 Central Time, uh, the Mavericks hosting the Minnesota Golden Gophers Championship game Saturday, April 9th, 7 o'clock Central Time, prime time. So, uh, Nick. Final let, thoughts. Yeah, final thoughts. Do you have anything you wanted to add? I will give you this with the Gophers. They are the hottest team right now. Um, and so you know hot, the hottest. <laughs> it's, it's lit bro um and, uh but 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 that's what makes minnesota dangerous right and that yeah. is they're a team that believes they're a team that's getting the production up front when they need it they're getting the stops in the back end they got their their top end talents playing and contributing like top end talents their role players are filling the role that they're assigned right um yeah. it's a team and, that and, like and and beyond it uh, you, you talk about uh minnesota state as well too those are two teams where their stud guys on the front end and on the back end are doing the little things. They're blocking shots. They're being physical. They're engaging in puck battles. You made a point a little bit about uh, it stinks to single them out, but Vietti Viet and for the Huskies, right? There's a guy who's you know has the potential to be a, you know a star player in terms of his production and offense. When's the last time you seen him throw a hit in the corner? When's the last time you seen him block a shot? He, and that, he, he avoids a hit in the corner. Yeah, anything yeah. exactly, and that's. We point that out because we know that it, that it's in there, but you got to see if you can get guys to play the right way, especially at playoff time. Why do you think Scott Sandlin's teams in Duluth have played well for so long? Because they employ the ability to say, it doesn't matter if you had 40 goals this year or if you had one goal this year. Or zero. Are you, are you willing to do what the team needs? You know? Yes. And, you know, when, when he mentioned at the NCHC tournament that I want all five of my guys back checking, and it's non-negotiable. And I love that phrase, non-negotiable. It's, 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 it's because it's just like, again, if, if you, it's like the old chocolate mirror days, right? Um, when I interviewed Andrew Burnett nine freaking years ago, yes, I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, almost to the day, actually. Yeah. How strange is that? Um, when I asked him about the transition play was Sergei Joltok and what led eventually to his overtime winner that ended Patrick Waugh's career. Yes, that's awesome. I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, but what a moment for him. Um, they were bottled in their own zone for like almost 60 seconds. Uh, shots were six one at the time, uh, five minutes in, and he said, "You know what? When we were asked by Jock to play this defensive structure, we did it, and we believed in it." It goes for the casual fan when we were watching this. We looked like we were hammed in, couldn't get out. It goes, no, it was kind of like the AIC thing. Um, funny thing is, so when me, <laughs> small side tangent, when me and Russ were watching the AIC, and we were like, "Why they were never pressuring the puck carrier, especially on the blue line?" And we were like. You know what the, you know what they're doing here? They're, it's the house plus one, and they're trying to bait them into a shooting lane. They're going to give it and take it away, and they're going to block shots. They're going to get sticks on pucks, and they're going to start to frustrate highly talented Michigan players 
for them to start taking chances or get too cute with the puck. And actually in the second period, they kind of made them did that a little bit. Um, but getting back to, to Andrew Burnett, he's like, you know, we were confident that if we could just weather the storm and we could get the puck in possession, we could turn it back the other way and, you know, we can make things happen. It's the same thing here. Right. So, yeah. Well, if it makes, if it makes you feel any better nine years ago, I was 16 and finishing my sophomore year of high school. So there's that, uh, beyond that. That's all you got on me. So that's, that's okay. The joke's old buddy, just like me. So, uh, uh, so, so speaking of uh, Andrew Burnett and NHL hockey, uh, we're going to close out the show. Just a quick little brief thing uh, the Minnesota wild are five and zero since Tyson Yost uh, entered uh, the fray. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, they, they played really well, uh, kind of trending in the right direction. In fact, I have yet to look and I probably should right now because that would be important where the Minnesota wild are in their last 10, but Mark Andre Fleury Eight and two, I think. Uh, let's see if you're let's see if you're right here. Um, I mean, first time for everything, quite obviously. Um, it would be. Yeah. Let's see. Wild card race here. The Minnesota Wild uh, currently second place in the Central Division. They are eight, one and one. Get it right. Come on. Technically eight and two. <laughs> yeah. Shut up. Yeah. Same thing. They, <laughs> they're winners of their last six. Uh, they're 40, 20 and four on the season, sitting at 84 points. Uh, it was 64 games played. They have the most uh, number of games played or games left to be played in the National Hockey League. It was them and the New York Islanders. I'm trying to find the Islanders. Yep, they have the most number of games left in the NHL, the Wild do. So we were worried about this team about two weeks ago. Uh, Then stuff happened. Then they started winning. Uh, How do we feel now? (laughs) Well, I think, uh, well, we were worried a little bit because it was defense, right? It was the defense that was porous, and it was not to do – it was a little bit to do with goaltending, but it was a lot more to do with the five guys in front of them, right? And a lot more to do with the structure and, and that kind of thing. Um, but the good news is they were scoring still, right? Yeah. So the, the offense was there, but if you tighten up things at the back end, it was like, okay, they can turn this around. They have. Uh, again, they make the switch with with Colorado, your arch nemesis in the division, which is interesting. That normally doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, but Nico Sturm uh, and then for for Tyson Jost. And how cool was that to have, you know, Tyson Jost offer his house to, or his condo to Nico, um, yeah. you know, in the switch, you know, just to kind of show you the, the respect that NHL players have for each other and to be like, well, I'm not going to do anything with this right now. You might as well just, you know, live in it. Why not? Right. So that was, I thought that was kind of neat. Uh, to, to, you don't normally hear of stories like that. So a couple, couple of former college hockey players. What do you expect, man? Yep, exactly. Um, but then they started to settle things down. They started to turn things around. Um, again, I think they're writing on the wall with Capo Kakin. And I mentioned this before uh, on the uh, Ice Hockey Southwest podcast was when they drafted Jesper Wallstad, I do think. Um, and even his last outing in the Minnesota crease, there was a couple of pucks that leaked through them. Um, it made it, I think that's, that's not starting material. Let's back up. And that's not a playoff contending goal center that you want to have to go to. Uh, if you go back to 2014, mind you, Darcy Kemper was injured. I think Backstrom was out and then they had to get Ilya Brzezgolov and who was, I was not just a, about to say, where is he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, and, and mind you, he's an NHL goaltender, but he hadn't played consistently. And uh, well, Stan Shigan, yeah, Patrick yeah. came back and roof. Hey, yeah. Anyways, so I, I mean, he's a hard guy to find. I mean, the universe is so humongous, big. So he's running from bears. I know he's afraid of that. So yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much what it comes down how the, to. How about the fact that is he is he still getting paid, or did he just finally hit the last year of that contract from the Flyers, where he's getting like that's one a and a half great, million a year? That's a great question. I'm gonna it's, look it up. I'm gonna cap it up. You do that. Um, but <laughs> yeah, no, and then the the addition of Jacob Middleton um also has sealed Goligoski's fate of him returning to the Wild. 
Um, I know that Russo also reported that, you know, there there was I think the team had reached out to him and it sounds like he wasn't going to take any sort of discount and he feels like he could make more than the Wild offer him on the free market. So uh, Galas Gossi's days, uh, days are numbered uh, in a wild sweater. Um, and also with him being a healthy scratch for the second game in a row, which means he can hit 1,000 games um, this season at least. So, yeah, there, there's, there's a, there's a trend there, and I think Jacob Middleton adding the size and more of the two-way with Spurgeon, I think it's a great move by Bill Guerin than Mark Andre Fleur. You know, he's the big name, but how about this? For the moves that Bill Guerin, he didn't give away the cupboard. I thought yeah. the maze that he moved. I mean, he. He didn't really mortgage the future. Um, you know, a conditional first from Rock Randy Flair, which could go to a second if they don't reach the Western Conference Finals. And if Mark Andre Fleury is not the goaltender of winning in four uh, uh four wins in each series. So, so to me, they're all in and they didn't give up everything to get it. It was a wonderful deadline by Bulgarian, honestly. So talking about goaltenders, yes, our boy Ilya Brizgalov will make $1.642857 million a year through the end of the spring year of 2027. So he's on the same trajectory as Bobby Bonilla. <laughs> Pretty much. Signed in, <laughs> 2000, signed in 2013 with Philadelphia, 14 years. He was part of what the the thirteen year contract with uh, Kovalchuk, and it was sort of that really odd, big lengthy contract spree that some GMs went on. Then uh, all of a sudden, you started to see these recapture penalties, and then the NHL put a dagger on that. And that wasn't it the twenty twelve CBA when they maxed it out. Yes, it was. But uh, seven years for a new team or eight years with your own club was max contract lengths. Fun fact. Uh buyout new york islanders july 3rd 2013 1.5 million dollars until the end of the 2029 season who am i talking about was that rick d pietro <laughs> yes <laughs> it was yep yeah that was dp yes oh my gosh like six my, my age comes in handy some years so yes you know what's wild though like 24 million dollars for for buyout versus like when you look at his contract i mean the contracts look so little now compared to you know yeah. some some of the big ones now but nonetheless yeah the wild uh, exciting exciting for them uh Kirill kaprizov can play hockey nick <laughs> oh, oh, by the way new. that's new holy crap is he a good <laughs> oh hockey boy you know, also, you know what's also interesting um speaking of guys that have had good years how about the fact that matt duchene has 33 goals yeah, they needed him. National, was, by the way, he was a big reason. You know, a, a kind of a big selling point for them last year was where the hell was Matt Duchesne in terms of production? He had a really big down year, and there were talks of Nashville thing trying to unload him um, on the off season. Um, kind of glad they stayed pat, right? Yeah. Uh, David Poyle not uh, going to uh, uh, getting a little bit too knee jerk as some GMs to do. <clears throat> Chuck Fletcher, um, but. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of Chuck Fletcher, the Wild actually have Philadelphia at home tonight. Uh, How about that, right? Yeah, their eighth game of a nine-game homestand. They've got Pittsburgh on Thursday, Carolina Saturday, uh, Washington Sunday. They go on a four-game road swing. Nick, I want to pause, pause at one final thought because I'm stupid, and uh, I, I, want to, I want to throw it out. Can we have a very mild, very small Paul Fenton appreciation moment? Actually, yeah. Really? I mean, yeah. honestly. Actually. Kevin Fiala, 
right? Uh, kind of crazy. Matt Zuccarello, who at the time we thought was insane, and then now that Kirill Kaprizov has come along, has, is one of the best hockey players in the National Hockey League in terms of playmaking. If you know? there's if and and this is how you you tie that on, right? I think everybody knows Matt Zuccarello is the playmaker. Kirill Kaprizov has always been the finisher. I think there was some foresight yeah. there, but they go both ways. They go both ways. Yeah. Um, and then the obviously wanting to get Fiala. Now, mind you, he's likely on his way out the door unless the, the numbers don't add up here for the while, which sucks. But yeah. um, and also to wrap a bowl on that, that's the only two good things that Paul Fett never did for the wild. Uh, I wonder, play. though, everything happens for a reason, quite obviously. Uh, that's why Chuck Fletcher is no longer with us. But um, does the Victor Rass, you know, the situation change things? If Victor Rass doesn't come over here, do things change as far as the wild acquiring, not acquiring pieces, understanding that they kind of had to rebuild and retool on the fly? You know, I, I think everything kind of had a know. purpose. I'm trying to think. I wonder if there's a list somewhere, by the way, of all the of all the trades and stuff. There is. Cap friendly, Cap friendly has it. Yeah. Um, but to to kind of finish off your point, you know, what I think what you're trying to get at is, you know, although it may not. So here's the hindsight of it, right? The hindsight is, did Paul Fenton you know, despite Jump the started. crappy moves on paper, did it end up working out? Well, it's easy to look at it now because it's hindsight, right? At the time, they were not good moves. They were not good moves um, with Victor Rask and Fernando Niederreiter. Now, Bill, now, to pass the torch right now, Bill Guerin, you know, by himself, you know, has he picked up the pieces? Holy hell, has he? Holy cow. Um, so, but mind you, let's just say that, Cliff, you know, Chuck Fletcher comes back. You know, what's this? What's just for the opposite effect here? Do we are we having the same conversation now? No, because yeah. Kaprizov would have been traded. He wouldn't have, you know, Chuck Fletcher oh, would have find a way to trade Kaprizov because he wanted that mega deal. He would have goofed up that negotiation. Um, Spurgeon would have been gone. I think Dumba would have also been gone. He tried to trade him like nine times. Actually, interesting enough that you mentioned that. So I found I found a little article up from the hockey writers about Fenton's moves. Actually, a lot of them. Uh, kind of crazy how much goes on even in a year of hockey. Yeah. Um, Matt Dumba, he actually re-signed Matt Dumba. Five years, $30 million. Uh, that was his first move, followed by Jason Zucker at five years as well. A great pattern, three years, $6.75 million. Okay. Uh, kind of interesting. It's actually uh, a value contract. Actually, wasn't too bad. Then he bought out Tyler Ennis. Yep. Traded Justin Clues, if anyone remembers, former Gopher fan, Justin Clues. Remember Clues, yep. Acquired Pontus Aberg. I don't know if you remember that one. That was a low-risk, high-reward type uh, thing. Yep, because uh, Toronto even tried to bring in Aberg, and he had the same result there, too. Yeah, Victor Rast, Niederreiter was next. Okay, all right. Then, a decent little trade for uh, Brad Hunt uh, and uh, Louis Belpedio um, was kind of the guy that was going to fill that role until Brad Hunt came over. Now, here's here's the next one before we get to the obviously big ones for Mikhail Gradlin, Kevin Fiala. Um, Charlie and Coyle. So the big ones, it was Charlie Coyle, yes. For who? Yep. That would have been for uh, Donato. Yeah, Ryan Donato, that's correct. Uh, actually, uh, probably a mutually, mutually beneficial trade, all things considered. And then the mm -hmm. offseason the off piece, so Matt Zuccarello. Um, yep which looked not great at the time, just based on the contract. But I think with Kirill Kaprizov has really reinvigorated his game. Uh, but actually Anders Lee, Joe Pavelski, Matthew Shane, all were on the block in terms of signings potentially mm -hmm. yep. for this group. So that was kind of it for him after that. His last, uh, his, uh, his only real good draft pick was actually Vladislav Firstov, who was actually just signed with the Minnesota Wild from UConn. But other than that, yeah, 
I think the Zuccarello one was the straw that broke the camel's back, which is funny because in the end, it's probably one of the best looking moves that Paul Fenton ever had. Now Paul Fenton was freaking awful, <laughs> all things considered, and not a great, not a great know, human right. being. But you, yeah. you do, and and that's the thing. It's like he was the he was the literally the antithesis of Chuck Fletcher, of where Chuck Fletcher. No, and what I mean by that is Chuck Fletcher did not want to ever disrupt the core. He never ever once try to you know we never heard the likes of grandland or coil or zucker um ever being traded right there was and even when the team disappointed like or for Nita Rider for that matter i'll put him in that category too um it was always he was trying to find the right pieces around them and he was never one that was like i'm gonna bust up my core and whether it was one player or a couple to kind of send a message to the team right he never did that. Whereas Paul Fedden just came in and just lit everything on fire. Um, quite literally both, you know, in many different ways. So he, he kind of, you know, overdid some things, right. Technically. Um, but you know, you, you could see that there at least was some direction there with offensive pieces. Again, Pontus Aberg, um, a guy that from, from Anaheim, if I remember recall, um, you know, was the guy that, um, you know, had some offensive upside, not great defensively, but you had him at a low risk signing. And if you could maybe, you know, create some magic, you know, with maybe some right players that could have been decent. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, the way that has all worked out, all things considered, it kind of reminds me of those, like, uh, who is it that does it? Is it Sportsnet that does those like trade trees that shows how yeah, one trade uh, kind of our, our good our good buddy uh, the trade trees that's uh, what's his face Steve Dangle yeah, those are great those are yeah. really really and they're they're lengthier for those who want to check them out they're like thirty to forty five minutes yeah but they are though. very informative and they they can pique your hockey curiosity because it's they they do a very deep dive on those and it's actually very it's very fun to to follow those trees and you know how more than just the two teams eventually, you know, kind of gain benefit or lose out on, on, on certain trades. So. Aren't Minnesota wild fans funny though. I was just thinking about this and every, every team has lulls or they have swoons as, uh, as Michael Russo likes to say, how about the fact that we were at a point where we, people wanted people, people wanted us or us, the wild to trade Kirill Kaprizov and fire Bill Guerin, two of the best things to ever mm-hmm. happen to this franchise in the past, probably ever, honestly. Um, oh blow it up baby uh speaking of things that are going to be blown it up besides nick maxton's uh, uh toiletries uh we have hockey on the docket uh a couple weeks uh NCAA, ncaa frozen four action and the minnesota wild are back in action what does that mean for us on the huskies warming house podcast we are going to have this week a saturday night recording and a regular sunday morning show release and then after that we'll give you some details as to the following week because it's kind of a hectic week for nick and i as well so stay tuned hopefully none of us get any more sick than i am And uh, we will see you back for episode number 106. And your one-timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perks! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! Kirill, the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game-winner! St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. 